Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have David Becker, CEO of First Internet Bank. David, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Greg. My pleasure. So to kick things off, can you take about a minute and just introduce our audience to yourself and First Internet Bank? Uh, Sure thing. Uh, I'm a technology person by trade. I was in the tech industry for about 20 years. Back in 1996, I had the idea of doing online banking without brick and mortar. Uh, took me three years. I couldn't convince a local bank to do it. So took three years to get a charter. We launched in 1999 as a online only bank offering all the retail services that a consumer could get. And back then on a flip phone. And uh, we're now almost 25 years later, we're approaching $5 billion in assets and servicing customers in all 50 states across the United States. So it's been a fun run. Yeah, amazing how early you were able to get this started for something. We hear all this noise now about challenger banks and the idea of a digital-only bank as though it's a new concept. Obviously, it's not. It's something you've been working on now for a couple of decades, which is really cool. Um, Yeah, we literally, with the software companies that I owned and controlled at the time, we had the tech, we had the core uh, back office system, we had the web integration tools, we had the real-time credit debit card, ATM processors. So when you put all three components together, like I say, with a flip phone in 1999, if I was going to a cold scheme and I had uh, no money, I could make an advance on the credit card, drop it in my savings account and pull it out of the ATM and on the way into the arena. So uh, stuff that, you know, some banks still can't do today. 25 yeah. years later, we were doing back in 1999. So, uh, no, it's yeah. Really cool. it's, uh, and I, I think part of it, um, not being part of the banking industry, um, I just didn't have the fear of the tech and uh, put it to work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious to know just a little bit of background about FIB. You know, what kinds of people or companies tend to make up your customer base? Uh, we've had literally probably the first seven to eight years of our existence, uh, we were almost 100% retail customers. Uh, regulators were afraid that I'd wind up with a bunch of uh, college students that had no money in their accounts. Sure. And the reality was uh, when we first launched our average customer was a 58-year-old male, credit scores in the upper 700s. Our checking accounts have been four times national average, money market three times, CDs two times. So we had very high net worth individuals that were uh, very comfortable with technology. And uh, a lot of folks were road warriors that operated out of a suitcase in a hotel room nationwide. Uh, in uh, probably 08, 09, we moved more towards the commercial side. And then over the last uh, four years, we really kind of focused on the small business community. Uh, we rolled out an SBA program a little over three years ago, and we're now the in the top 20 largest SBA uh, loan producers in the country. So we're really working to get back into that small business community where I got my start 40 years ago. So it's it's been a nice transition and a nice move. Yeah, you know, over the last couple of years, obviously, there's been some major shifts, some major factors at play in the broader ecosystem. How has that affected you? Have you noticed, you know, increased in you know customer signups or the types of companies who are coming to engage with you? Or is it still kind of the, the same growth curve that you were already on? No, actually, we're probably one of the banks in the country that benefited most from COVID. 
because as my peers were trying to figure out what to do with a branch structure, protect all their customers and service a client who always came to the branch instead of coming online, uh, we were already set up for that. So our customers had no interruption in service. We were able to continue to modify and grow the technology and services. And coming out of COVID, all of a sudden, we've got millions of consumers and small businesses had it not been for the pandemic, would have never thought about banking online. So they're migrating our way. We're signing up people uh, today at a rate we've never experienced. So it's it's actually been a benefit to us. We're getting uh, more into rural communities, uh, folks that um, you know always thought they had to go see Susie the teller on Friday afternoon to get their work done. And there just really isn't that need today. Yeah, I mean, clearly there's been a really uh, increase in adoption of financial technology in general, but I think certainly it's not difficult to imagine how that could have benefited yourselves um, and the types of customers who are now more willing maybe to consider uh, you know, banking over the internet than they might have been before. Are you noticing a shift in the demographics at all in terms of who's now maybe more willing to come in and engage with you than, than you would have seen previously? Yeah, historically, we kind of had a barbell. Uh, we had the young adults who are just live with tech. I think my, my children would have a, an electronic device in, embedded in their brain if they could. And uh, it's just natural to them. And then on the, the other end of the extreme, the uh, older population, that that's the way they communicate. They use tech in their jobs. And kind of that middle America, we, for whatever reason, I guess it would be the Gen Z, I think, uh, they were kind of out of it. And now, all of a sudden, they're in uh, with force. And the, the real intriguing part has been the small business owner who felt that, you know, I had to have that local bank. I had to have that relationship. And during COVID, they realized that 99% of their activity is done electronically. They paid bills. They uh, got accounts. They did advancing. They did invoicing, et cetera. They really didn't have to have the bank. Unless you're a restaurant or a retailer where you need coin and currency to run a cash register, uh, you can really do all the things that they were habitually doing at the corner office, you can now do that online and, and do it on your time frame. You don't have to stop in the middle of the day to make a bank run. Uh, you can keep going at 10 o'clock at night when you get home, you're all done. You can wrap it all up. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are in that boat where they sort of discovered that maybe I don't actually need to go to a brick and mortar establishment any longer. And I think that's going to continue. I think that trend is certainly not going to slow down anytime soon. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about banking as a service. I know you guys are pretty active in the banking as a service space. Can you talk through what you're seeing there in terms of the opportunity and you know the types of companies that you've been able to work with? Yeah, I think there's a, a, a tremendous opportunity in banking as a service right now. Is the the fintech community um, can redo the front end, put a good user interface on mundane banking tasks that a lot of bankers just don't want to do debt consolidation, uh, small consumer loans uh, that a traditional bank doesn't want to involve the, the staff and the tellers and the overhead. It's not cost effective. So the FinTech delivers the front end delivery system. And then on the back end, they still need the bank to move the monies, uh, underwrite the loans, uh, set the stuff up because we still have that charter and the license and access to the monetary rails. So it's, it's a good marriage. Uh, there's a lot of good things coming. Um, I think there's <laughs> kind of an interesting time. I'm referring to it personally as FinTech 2.0, I think, is starting up where a lot of the companies, uh, even prior to Silicon Valley Bank, were kind of finding it a little tougher to raise capital. Money was getting more expensive. It's getting tighter. 
and uh, people are questioning, you know, what's your path to profitability? So right now we're finding people that uh, have good, solid businesses, um, want to back up Silicon Valley, created them to have multiple endpoints. And we're getting kind of established businesses that want to grow to the next level and potentially the bank they were working with couldn't get them there. So um, we're getting in running. Uh, one of the folks that we're helping is uh, ramp the credit card system. and We're doing their electronic bill pay on the back end and rolling out at a nationwide level and you know, we hooked up with them 90 days ago and we're doing, I think I saw last week, almost a, a little over a hundred million in uh, debits and credits, ACH for bill payments. So uh, it, it grows fast, it grows efficiently and in the right partnerships, it's a win-win for both sides. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think it kind of allows everybody to do what they're really good at, right? I think, you know, to your yes. point that you just yeah. made, you know, the idea of building an excellent user interface is not something that financial institutions would relish. But I think there are a lot of people in the tech community who think, you know, I can do this really nicely. I can make this look pretty for you. Um, but at the same time, you know, on the flip side, a lot of those companies really struggle with the kind of back end pieces. How do I make myself a compliant financial institution? And a lot of them, quite frankly, don't want to bite that off. Um, and, and I totally get that. And so I think, you know, putting it in this way um, really allows people to sort of specialize and say, you know, here's where I can improve this process. And ultimately, the one who benefits, I think, is the end user. That's exactly right. At the end of the day, the consumer is a guy that they have a very intuitive uh, uh, system and program that they can do tasks that, like you say, a traditional bank might not want to do and done effectively. Uh, it's a win for both sides. It's very cost effective. It's very consumer friendly. And, you know, banks historically have tried to be all things to all people in some respects. And it's just it's not physically and, and logically possible in today's world. So uh, let folks come in and do part of it like debt consolidation. Nobody wants to take that on anymore it's a cumbersome task it's in, at the end of the day a relatively small bottle alone uh, but the fintechs have very good front ends the consumer could pull it all together electronically they can go out and verify balances uh, they can do in minutes what would take a loan officer a day and a half to put together and send us a note and we can pay uh, six bills and consolidate them into a new account in a matter of seconds and you know 10 minutes after they leave the site it's all done and over with so uh, very smooth very efficient yeah i think one of the things that really intrigues me about this process um, or banking as a, a service in general is you know the idea that it kind of really blurs the line between a bank and a fintech um, you know in terms of who's actually providing a service from an end user's standpoint um, and I guess the first question is, you know, at what point do we stop even really caring about the distinction between, you know, are you a fintech, are you a bank? Because are we getting to that point now where it, it almost doesn't matter because banking as a service really allows, you know, any company to kind of become that bank? Yeah, to a point, the you, you hit a, uh, a comment in your last uh, uh, statement about a lot of fintechs don't want to become a bank. That was the game in the, in the play two or three years ago. Well, I'm going to get to a point that I'm going to get a bank charter and I'm going to do great things. Uh, the reality of it and the regulatory issues that go with being a bank, uh, the KYC or know your customer and uh, the all the money laundering rules and issues and concerns, that's a level of overhead that if you're good on the tech side and you're good on the user interface, and having a foot in both worlds, being in the tech community for 20 years plus and bank community 20 years plus, believe me that the 
the whole regulatory compliance is just an area that the good technology companies don't want to deal with. So the right partnership where they're doing the good work for the consumer and the UI, I can come in and with my infrastructure already established, protect both the consumers and the fintech and the bank itself. So it's one where the partnership, rather than go reinvent the wheel and try to become the bank and learn all of that overhead. And quite honestly, some of my peers have jumped into working in banking as a service with the idea that, oh, the fintechs are taking care of all that. I don't have to worry about it. The examiners come in and say, whoa, 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 time out. <laughs> uh, look at it. They're not they're not doing any of this, and it's your responsibility. Fix it, or I'm going to shut you down. So uh, that's another issue where we've got a great opportunity. There's a lot of banks that were chasing the, the kind of golden ring of uh, banking as a service and realized, oh my God, I didn't even think about the compliance when they're opening more accounts in an afternoon than they've done in the last 10 years. That just yeah. blows up their systems. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I think this is one of those things too, where obviously those of us in the industry really care a lot about the distinction between who's a fintech, who's a financial institution. And um, but but what's your sense in terms of how much consumers actually care? Do they do they feel like they need to go with a, a bank necessarily to provide these services? Or do you get the sense that they're happy to take the right service from whoever is offering it? I think they're more than happy to take the right service from whoever's offering it. I think the only thing that they're going to be hesitant about today because of what's happened you know, in the last couple of weeks with Silicon Valley and, and Signature Bank and others closing, is if I'm making a deposit in an organization, is my money insured? Uh, sure. Which a lot of fintech offer basic checking savings programs, very attractive rates, but there's no insurance behind it. So that part on the deposit side, I think the con consumer's concerned. But on the other end, if it's convenience, in some cases it's rate. In a lot of cases, I think convenience will trump rate. So even though I might pay a few extra basis points, uh, if I can do it in a matter of minutes versus hours or days, uh, I'm going to do it and, and not worry about it. So I think it really comes back to the consumer doesn't care. They want the best product for their time and effort. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, uh, I would agree with you on that. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see where that balance nets out, how much people are willing to pay for that extra convenience because it's not always the best rate that you would go out and, and make somebody go and engage with a financial institution. In some cases, they make that decision based on the convenience. In some cases, they actually have an emotional attachment to a particular yes. financial institution because you know it's a local credit union that I love to see the work that they're doing in my backyard, or it's a bank that I feel like understands me as an individual, and I want to you know be be heard as a consumer, and I'm willing to pay a little bit extra for that. That's going to be just a really interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, it is. And then there's the other side of the coin that, again, a fintech can come in and I'm going to put your money into a green fund or I'm going to mm -hmm. you know, hit a, a special focus group that you're excited and interested in, which the credit union can't do. So I think a lot of people are going to split the dollar. Uh, they'll do things with the local community institution because that's the right thing. Uh, morally in their mind that they need to do, but they also have causes or things they're interested in and they'll push some funds out to another organization that can go in and, you know, do a, a nationwide program that supports a humane society, uh, things of that nature. So I think there's a, it'll be a play and the consumer can move money so seamlessly today. It's not a tough thing. If you like this today and you don't like it tomorrow, you can change to something else. 
Uh, there's generally not a lot of penalties. It's in, 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 with the Fed now coming, uh, where money will literally move real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it gives the consumer the ultimate choice and the ultimate control. So uh, it's it's going to change the way I think an awful lot of people view their day to day finances. We're just kind of on the tip of the iceberg of what's coming. Yeah, well, that seems like a really good lead into my last question of the day. You know, obviously, you've seen so much of this industry as it's evolved over the past uh, 20 plus years. And I'm really curious, given all the different factors that are going on right now, all these w- things that are changing the financial ecosystem and, and the technology that's changing the ecosystem, what do you see coming over the next five or 10 years? Are there any big shifts that you think will will uh come through the financial ecosystem, whether because of technology or because of consumer behavior. Um, obviously, there's absolutely nothing at stake here, but I'm just curious to hear what your what your thoughts are. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've uh, been called a dreamer my whole life and come up with all these crazy things. And uh, uh, thankfully, most of them have turned out to be okay. Uh, yeah, I think we're our lifestyle uh, will be revolutionized over the next five to 10 years. I made a statement to somebody the other day that uh, we built a, a new corporate headquarters and put a big parking garage behind it. But I said, you know, I think in three to five years, uh, a, our car is going to drive us to work, drop us off. Then it's going to take off and pick up the laundry, get the groceries, run all the errands and come back and pick us up at whenever we call it to come get us. It'll all be automated. You're going to be, you'll jump in your car to go to from Indy to Chicago You'll say, hey, you know, at every other Starbucks, please stop and pick me up my usual order. The car will place the order. You'll go through the drive through They'll hand you the drink. Uh, it will all be paid for electronically by your car. Uh, you won't do anything. So I think just convenience, the refrigerators, you got some of the stuff out there now where they're, uh, you can put in your list. Well, it will actually place the order for you. It'll pay for the order and some service will deliver it to your front door or your car will go pick it up for you. So I think there's uh, kind of a, a neat uh, uh, fun of the Jetsons cartoon commercial about everything being automated. And you have the little monitor that uh, sends uh, re- make all your requests to and next thing it pops up at the door or through the little oven. And I, I think we're getting fairly close to that. There'll be a lot of conveniences and things we do manually today will just be automated and taken care of and the settlement of all those transactions and the movement of all those monies that all be built into the system uh, you won't have a credit card per se uh, it'll be all electronic and done remotely for you yeah i mean we're certainly at a point where there's a convergence of a lot of different pieces of technology that are coming to uh, fruition all at once and i think it's clear that there are going to be major changes and I, I really like the vision that you laid out there um, I think that's a really interesting one. I think you know you're, you're probably not that far off, but you know we'll come back and I'll check in with you in another five or ten years, and we'll see <laughs> we'll see Sounds how like much we can hold your feet yeah. to the fire there. Um, <laughs> well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Uh, again, I've been talking with David Becker of First Internet Bank. David, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Greg, it's been my pleasure. Uh, call anytime, and, and I'll I'll take you up on the opportunity to uh, recount this five years from now and see see how close we were. All right, sounds good. I'll put it on the calendar right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, sir. 
The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.